fasted this week. Yes? What a week. It was incredible. Incredibly hungry for some of us. But we made it through. Well done. If you did it, whatever you picked, well done. Well done for fasting. I would like to call up two people, Steph and Megan, who are going to share one or two testimonies from the week of fasting. And yeah, come on up. And while they're coming up, give them a big hand. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, while they come up, just to get a sense of what God has been doing, how he's been, how he's been stirring things, if you really felt that you had a specific moment or an answer to prayer or a big step forward through this week of fasting, let's see some hands. Yes, one, two. Oh, good. Nice few hands throughout the, throughout the room. Wonderful. Glad to see that. If you didn't, that's okay. That's part of our obedience, and that's part of the journey. We do these things, not just to get the reward, but also just to say, God, I'm committed to you. This is part of my race. This is part of my journey. All right, so let me introduce Steph. Let's give a big hi, Steph. Yeah, and Steph is going to give us a couple of, couple of words of testimony. Thanks, Justin. Hey, church, good evening. <laughs> oh, praise God. He's so kind. Um, yeah, so I started the fast on Monday as everybody else, and um, throughout the day, I just felt like slowly, and maybe it was faster, but I was a little delayed in responding, but um, the Lord just kept prompting me to do things that I was really uncomfortable with. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is good. Um, and so I just felt towards the end of that day, um, just the need to give generously financially, and I felt complete peace about it. Um, it was uh, a bit of a stretch for me in some ways, um, but I just felt like the Lord was telling me to give it to a certain individual. Um, and then flash forward a lot of hunger pangs later on Wednesday, um, I wake up, and if you don't know, I live in the basement of the Hills home, and uh, Jeff comes knocking on my door and just has a package for me, and I was like, I didn't order anything. I know that no one's really sending me anything either that I'm aware of, and um, I open this package. <laughs> God's so good, and he gave me through somebody who I haven't talked to in months, um, an envelope and two gifts. The envelope contained the exact amount of money that I gave. <laughs> and a book that I had had in my wish list for months that I had just postponed in getting, the exact book, same copy I was looking at, everything, and another present, and I just felt like Jesus in that moment was saying that he honored my obedience, and it really forced me and made me desire to give even more. I was like, Lord, take everything in my bank account. <laughs> So there is so much freedom in taking that step, and the Lord is so quick to be faithful and show up. So praise God. That's amazing. Steph, well done. That's an incredible step that you took. But more importantly, God, you're amazing, right? You can't script this kind of stuff. These are miracles. All right, Megan, let's say big hi, Megan. Hi, church. Wow, what a pleasure to be here with you all on this day that it's no longer negative 30 degrees. Like, he's good. He is faithful. He provides. Anyways, this fast, it was awesome. If you participated, good job. I'm going to be honest, I barely made the decision to do the full three-day no-food fast. It was like the day before, and I was like, 
okay, Lord, I, I feel you stirring my heart, but this is going to be tough. And, but I did it. Um, Monday morning, woke up 8 a.m., not going to lie, to my stomach grumbling already. And I was like, oh, not today, Satan. Jesus, take the wheel. And it was a battle the whole time, you guys. It was a battle, but it was a good one. And you know what? I'm glad to be here sharing with you today because exhortation is a beautiful thing, and it's good to affirm each other with the testimonies that the Lord provides. Um, the God, did some, God did some incredible things during this fast for me, one of which just being able to speak of it with other people. Like, my roommates obviously were like, why are you not eating? And I was like, actually, I'm doing a three-day water-only fast. And they were like, what? Why? You're crazy. And I was like, I know, guys, I am. But the Lord is good, and I'm going to feast on him. Um, actually... So crazy. Something like a name of the Lord that I'd literally never heard before this week in this fast that he just kept bringing up to me was El Shaddai, which literally means like God Almighty, the Lord provides. And the root Shad actually means like breast. And it gives like the influx that like the Lord is also maternal and that he continues to provide for us and nurture us. And the Lord really did like he nurtured me and it was crazy, you guys. I've like struggled with asthma for pretty much the last decade on and off. Like sometimes it's been okay, sometimes it's been pretty bad. When I went home for like Thanksgiving and Christmas this year, it got really bad, like to the point where I, I like literally was waking up every single day to asthma attacks and I like could not like be inside my house. It was crazy. Um, and so something I've never really been able to do is run like for like long distances. Like I've been athletic my entire life, like did track, did everything, but I was always a sprinter because once I get over like the mile mark, it was like I was starting to huff and puff always. Um, so yeah, I went to the gym the day after the fast ended as I always do. Decided to hop on the treadmill. I mean, was expecting maybe like, you know, half a mile, but then I just kept running and running and running and like with no problems. And it was crazy. Justin, Justin shared an awesome word at our uh, church feast about how Jacob wrestled with the Lord for a blessing, and he prevailed, and the Lord blessed him. And I just, I remember in that moment being like, okay, Lord, challenge accepted, bless me. Wasn't sure in what way, but man, that day at the gym, I was like, that was kind of crazy. Maybe it was a fluke. Went back the next day, ran like way more, and I was like, God, are you sure? Maybe that was another fluke. And, and I like, I literally like heard his voice say, run around the track 11 times and then proclaim that I have been healed. And I did. It was wild. Like the Lord. <laughs> Man. Stop it. There's just, there's so much joy when we enter in to communion with the Lord, you guys. I just encourage you, like, enter into spiritual disciplines and enter in to the Lord's presence with joy, and not just because it's something to check the box with, not just because it's something that you should do as a Christian, but fully believe that he will bless you in that, because that's the intention of it. We're not entering into these, seizing, these seasons of sowing just to sow, but we're actually expecting to reap, and we actually will reap if we continue. So have faith, be encouraged, you're loved. Well done, well done, Megan. Great, what wonderful testimonies. Incredible, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Who else needs it? Come on, Lord, do it in us. Do it in us, do it for us, and do it through us. Amen. All right. Okay. Now, very important announcement. My last announcement is next week, Sunday, very important day. Who knows what it is? Super Bowl. That's right. Okay. What that means for us here at the table is that church does not start at 4.30 p.m. It starts at 4 p.m., 
okay? So that we can get home or get to a place to watch the game, okay? 4 p.m. Don't be late. For volunteers who, are, who come early to help serve and set up, you usually get here get at 2.50. We're going to get you at 2.30, okay? Pull it forward 20 minutes. Make that note in your uh, diary or your calendar right now, please. Now, it gives me great pleasure to call up Katya, our pastor. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we are going through the book of Exodus, an incredible journey. And it's one that is really exciting. It's one that is deeply meaningful, I think, and should be for all of us. Uh, know that Katya has been through many moves of God, many exoduses in her own life. And so there's some of that that wonderfully gets filtered through as we preach. Open up your hearts, open up your ears, and let's hear what the Lord has to say. Thank you, Katya. Thank you so much. Wow. Wow. Jesus is doing miracles in our midst. I want us to recognize, guys, that we're, we're asking for the miraculous, and we've had stories of two remarkable miracles. Who in their power could have made either of those things happen? Anyone? Anyone here able to do that? No. Then we've just witnessed two remarkable miracles. I want to say that my background is in medicine. I am a trained emergency room doctor. What Megan shared is a physical impossibility. Your asthma doesn't just suddenly change so that what is the limitation on you suddenly disappears. That's not how it works physiologically. So God has done a remarkable miracle. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to do something uh, out of pure selfishness in this moment because I could feel the tangible faith in the room as Megan was sharing. Uh, I have Crohn's disease, and so I need something done in my body, which is a medical impossibility. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you have an illness in your body that requires a medical, requires a miracle from the Lord because it is something that you live with, something that is chronic, something that medicine cannot cure. Ah, why don't we just throw in the stuff that medicine can cure too, but it hasn't yet. Why don't you just stand up if you need healing in your body? Uh, we just want to the Bible talks about testimony having prophetic power. The word testimony means to do again, which means when we get to hear testimonies, it's not just a nice story. God is inviting us to release in that moment the power through our words for the same thing to happen again. And so in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for what you have done in Megan's life. We thank you for the remarkable physical miracle that she has experienced. And in Jesus' name, we speak over every single person who is standing, including myself. We speak healing over bodies now in the name of Jesus. We speak to all illness and all pain. Go in Jesus' name. We speak to all physical limitations on each body that is standing, and we break those limitations. Kingdom of heaven, come and break out. Healing come in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, woo Jesus, he is awesome. Okay, we're going to get straight into Exodus. Um, I'm so excited. Um, ah, Jesus. Okay, we're, we're going to do one more thing. Holy Spirit, inconvenient. Um, just as the meeting was starting, um, Eva came to me and she said, I found a dime, mum. Can I keep it? A, a coin, a dime coin. And I said, um, sure, fine. I'm sure no one's going <laughs> to. 
If that's yours, we will return it to you. <laughs> and Zeke turned around to her and said, hey, Eva, keep that and then give it to me because I want to buy something with it. He, he wants to buy a camera. And he said, keep the dime so that I can buy my camera. And in that moment, I felt God speaking to me about an unusual provision where what you have in your hand will not seem enough, but will be enough for the thing that you are wanting. And so even on the back of Steph's Steph's experience in this miraculous moment of provision. Uh, I want to invite you guys, as we've done for healing, we're going to do this for financial miracles because I felt the Lord speak it to me. This is not well, how I normally start my preaches, but anyway, let's go. It's fun, right? Holy Spirit's in this room. So if you need financial breakthrough of any kind, this is not a moment for embarrassment because I feel God is inviting us into something. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to believe with you. We're going to pray for you. Father, I thank you that you take five loaves, two fish, and you make them provision for thousands. I thank you for a dime that will cover the cost of a camera. I thank you, God, in this room for financial miracles that will begin to happen, where what we have in our hands will not seem enough, and yet will cover the cost of the thing that far surpasses what we have in our hands. And so in the name of Jesus, we speak multiplication over everyone standing in this community, that what is needed in breakthrough will be provided even in this moment. I pray throughout this week that we will hear story after story of people saying, I had this in my hand and yet I was able to get this. I had no more money left and yet I was able to pay my bills. I had no more money for food and yet I had full groceries. I had no money for that house and yet I was able to pay for it. We believe you, God, for financial miracles in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you've called us as a community to live in one of the most expensive cities in the United States, and you will not fail to provide where you have called for each of us. And so we thank you for breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's turn to Exodus. If you haven't got there yet, I am going to read some things just to give you context. We've had a couple of weeks of this series now, and we're going to spend uh, the next couple of months in this book that has so much to teach us. And last week, if you weren't here, I, I recommend that you listen to it, but Julian was speaking to us about how God called Moses. And Moses has this moment where he... he tries in his own strength to bring deliverance to the people of Israel who are held as slaves in Egypt, and it goes horribly wrong, and he ends up having to flee for his life. He ends up in the desert, lives in the desert for 40 years. He gets married, starts a family, and in that kind of settling in the desert, God meets with him, uh, the voice of the Lord speaking to him through the burning bush, a bush that is on fire, not unusual in a desert, but is not consumed very unusual in a desert. And he hears the voice of the Lord and God begins to call him, speak to him, both bringing revelation of who God is and also giving Moses revelation of who God has made him to be and what his assignment for the season is. And um, the important part of that backstory for us is that Moses is very cautious. He doesn't want to do what God has appointed him to do. Any, anyone have, have moments like that where you hear God speaking something over you and you're like, mm, you know what, maybe 
maybe call someone else. I'm really comfortable in the life that I have right now because the call of God will stretch you beyond your comfort zone. If the call of God hasn't stretched you beyond your comfort zone, I want to ask you whether you're living in the call of God, but that's a different story. So God speaks to Moses. Moses is a bit reticent. He quite likes the settling in the desert and his family life, and he's enjoying the, the lovely me time that he's curated for himself in his life. Um, and when God insists, he starts saying, you, you, you actually got to find someone else because I'm, I'm not suitable for the task. It's not just that I don't want to, although I don't, but I'm not suitable for the task because I, I don't, I'm not a good speaker. And you're asking someone to do public speaking. I'm not a good speaker. This isn't going to work. And, and God rebukes him and gives him this like strong charge. He's like, who, who is it who made things? Who is it who made humanity? He, he like comes at him with a real sense of the power of God because it's like, Moses, you're not getting the point. I don't care whether you're a good public speaker. I am God and I have appointed you to do this. That's the kind of sense of that moment. And so you get, as you're reading this moment, you think, okay, Moses gets it. Like he, he finally says, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. Voice from the burning bush making a, a really good argument. And so he gathers his family. He says goodbye to his father-in-law Jethro, and he travels back. And we're going to pick up that point in the story, but I want you to remember that Moses has had already a moment of resolving insecurities before the Lord, because that's going to come up again in a moment. But we're going to read from chapter 4, verse 28. Moses told Aaron, his brother, who God pairs him up with, all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. It's actually the first time that worship is mentioned in the book of Exodus. They, they have this moment when they think, oh, God has seen us, he's remembered us, and that inspires worship in them. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh. So this is like the beginning of their mission trip, okay? Moses has been called by God. He's agreed finally to do the thing. He starts his mission trip. He was really worried about whether the Israelites would believe him or not. Few, the first part that he was really worried about actually goes really well. The Israelites not only believe him, but they're inspired to worship. They're having a revival meeting. He's thinking, this is going actually really good. Maybe I am made to do this the man of power for the hour, as Julian sometimes likes to <laughs> cheesily tell us. And so, Mo <laughs> so Moses is feeling really good now. Oh yeah, God maybe did make a wise choice. I am really good at this job. So he goes straight to Pharaoh. He's feeling confident. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews, let's try again, maybe he didn't hear us. Uh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. 
But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves now. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall still impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, no straw will be given to you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, when the Egyptians hold, who the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. And then he repeats to Moses the assignment that is on Moses' life. He brings revelation again to Moses, who God is. He brings revelation again to Moses, who God has made Moses to be. He brings revelation again to Moses of how he has been appointed to set the people free. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses, verse 9, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. 
How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. The better translation of that, or at least for us to understand what that means, is I have a speech impediment. Moses goes right back to the insecurity he had right at the beginning when he was called. And he roots the lack of success in his insecurity. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. It's a remarkable story. Uh, from our side, we can read it, and it doesn't mean much. You're kind of like, okay, we, we know the end of the story. There's a problem when we know the end of the story because we don't walk through the story. We read the Bible with the end in mind, and so we're like, ah, not that big a deal. He didn't give you straw, don't worry. In a few weeks' time, you're all out of there anyway, right? That's the mindset. But for these guys, they're living in crippling slavery. They're already living a horrible life that none of us would want to live. And then comes a deliverer, and they have this moment where they're like, oh my gosh, God has remembered us. It's been 400 years that they've been living in Egypt, and it's been going horribly wrong during that time. And they're like, he hasn't forgotten us. He's heard us. This is an amazing moment. We're, we're feeling so warm and gooey inside. We're even going to worship him right now. It's wonderful. They have this great moment that all their troubles are over. And you can just imagine Moses and he's thinking, I didn't want to do this, but this seems to be going really well. And he's just gaining momentum and the church is just beginning to grow and it's all glorious. And then they hit a brick wall, quite literally without straw. And today I want to talk about hitting the wall because I think that many of us, when we approach God and when we approach the life of faith, we assume that once you're on the right track, momentum is on your side. Once we're on the right track, once we're obedient to God, once I'm doing my fast, it's all going to be plain sailing from that point because surely that's what God promises every believer. Uh, we're not reading our Bibles correctly, but we tell ourselves that narrative. And even with the stories we tell each other, we don't tend to cover all of the horrible bits, all of the moments of tears, all of the moments where we really were terrified, all of the moments where we decided being a Christian sucks and I'm not going to do it anymore. We don't tell each other that part of the story. We just end with the brilliant end result, the glowing report. And so we increase this narrative in the Christian community that if you're doing it right, it will go well. We don't mention the brick wall. We don't talk about the moments where you've done exactly what you've been told to do and then the exact opposite of what you were promised happens. That God has promised him, don't worry Moses, I got you. You don't speak, that's fine, that's not a problem. You're going in my power, I'm the one who delivers. And then Pharaoh says, you think so? The burden that I've put on you, I'm about to double because you guys are idle. And in this moment, Moses is like, why on earth did you send me? Like you set me up for the worst job ever. Because he doesn't understand at this point. See, their revelation of God was very limited. What they knew of God at this point in Israel's history is really only a handful of things about his character. It's easier on us, although we don't read our Bibles well enough, so we're still as clueless as they were. 
But we've got an entire word to read that trains us, that tells us repeatedly every single adventure of faith that you read in the Bible has a brick wall moment where it's going to go really well and all of a sudden it's really not. And as believers, we often think, I must have done something wrong. No, other than not read your Bible and pay attention. No, you haven't done something wrong. That's called an inevitable part of the journey of faith. You will always have a bricks without straw moment. This is my first point. The brick wall is inevitable. Write it down because it might mean nothing to you today. But when you hit the brick wall, this is going to fortify you. Because it's not that you did something wrong. It's not that you've been disobedient. It's not that God who promises is actually unfaithful to you. It's just part of the process. We have to train ourselves. The Bible talks about in the New Testament not being ignorant of the enemy's schemes. We have to be a people who train ourselves out of ignorance so that in moments where there is challenge to our faith, we know exactly how to lean in rather than run away. You have to do that in the moments where you're not right in the heat of battle. If you're trying to train yourself in the heat of battle, it's too late. It's in the moments before the faith adventure where you've got to really get yourself ready and understand this is going to be glorious. There are miracles involved. God who has spoken is faithful and there are going to be moments of challenge. There's going to be moments of resistance. As my friend um, Adam used to say to me whenever I complained that things were difficult, no change comes without resistance. And we think miracles are going to happen like this all of the time for us because God who promised is faithful, but we don't understand the process through which people of faith have walked through for miracles. It's not that the miracle isn't coming. The question is, do we have the resilience to lean in in the moment where we have our own make your bricks without straw challenge to our faith? It's inevitable. Get comfortable with it. Let's tell stories to one another of those moments of brick walls. I want to tell you, the three days of fasting, actually the first two days, I'm terrible at fasting. I get grouchy. Julian can tell you. I get grouchy. I love food. get really grouchy. But anyway, the whole time through the fast, I'm just praying every time I'm grouchy, like, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. And After the fast, I'm feeling actually like God has really responded to so many things that were just stirring hunger in me. I'm so excited, hunger physically, but spiritually. And uh, I'm just feeling so excited about the new season. And then I get hit by illness and body aches and Crohn's disease doing what Crohn's disease does in my body, which is just making me feel like I have zero energy and I'm aching all over. I'm still aching all over. That's a bricks without straw moment. That's like, oh, you thought you were leaning in for a miracle. Boom, here's the resistance. And unless we've trained ourselves, what we'll do in those moments is I'm never going to fast again. Well, that sucked. It doesn't do anything, does it? 
My body feels worse today than I did before, and one of the things I was praying for was healing. Clearly not working, right? Because unless you've trained yourself, unless you anticipate there will be challenge, unless you've fixed your eyes on the faithfulness of Jesus and refuse to allow your circumstances to dictate to you so immediately whether you're going in the right direction or not, in those moments you will fall right into the enemy's schemes and you will go off track just before you've even started got to train ourselves. So the wall is inevitable. Faith adventures are filled with them. I can tell you so many stories of this kind of moment, but I can also tell you the stories of what happens afterwards. We've got to be reading. We've got to feast on these stories and pay attention to the process because it will happen to us in faith adventures. The second thing about the brick wall, and I really believe the brick wall is a gift It's a gift to them, it's a gift to us. The second thing about the brick wall is that it is a profound mirror. It exposes to the people what is really happening on the inside. In fact, it exposes to Moses what is still happening on his inside. See, the burning bush moment, he has this long conversation, and you could think on the surface that he has dealt with his insecurity because he accepts the challenge. He accepts the adventure. You think, well done, Moses. You've got to a level of healing. You've allowed the Lord to really minister to your heart. You're not insecure about your speech anymore. You've understood that the power is God's anyway, so any victory is not rooted in your ability, right? beautiful. On the surface, it looks great. But the first challenge he hits, all of that which you think has been resolved rises to the surface again. The brick wall is in fact a gift to expose what is really going on on the inside. If not, without brick walls, we will always live thinking we are much more mature and whole than we actually are, and we will never allow the Lord to actually resolve the things that are most true in the depth of our being. Moses believes in reality that success is based on his ability to speak. Even after the miracles, even after the signs that he's been shown, even after accepting the adventure as if he's got it, as soon as he hits the wall, the reality of his belief belief system comes up and it's got nothing to do with the power of God. It's got everything to do with his understanding that it is rooted in his ability to speak or not. And so many of us, In times of acceleration, in times where things are going well, we can tell ourselves that we've really got all that self-care, all those bubble baths, I want to tell you, have done wonders for me. They've really healed what was going on on the inside. All of those things, all my self-made boundaries have done so good in allowing my insecurities to be healed. I'm just so much more whole than I was before, and I walk into a brick wall, and all of a sudden, all of that unbelief, all of that insecurity, all of those belief systems that are rooted in something other than the kingdom of God and the gospel come up to the surface because all of a sudden it turns out I'm not nearly as mature as I thought I was. These moments are gifts. Now here's the response, church. You can see yourself in the mirror and you can bounce. And I've seen this happen so many times. You can see the truth and then you can refuse to acknowledge it. 
You can get offended with other people. Because you know what the Israelites did? They entered into the blame game. You know what's interesting is, two minutes ago, you guys were worshiping. What happened? They're unwilling to acknowledge the mirror that they've seen. They're unwilling to say, gosh, our worship wasn't rooted in him, was rooted in what we thought we'd just gained. But all of a sudden, as soon as that thing is taken from us, we're not interested in this God and we're not interested in his prophet. Go away. They've they've seen the mirror, but they've chosen blame and offense to another rather than humble surrender to what God is wanting to sift out of their own hearts. I'm going to tell you, I have seen it so many times, and as a pastor, it breaks my heart. Watching people when they're on the brink of either step towards wholeness or step towards offense. And in that moment, no one else can make that choice for them. That's a personal moment where every ounce of true surrender, true worship comes out of you. I want to say to you, church, those moments are gifts. I've had so many moments like that personally. Oh, man, I'm a woman of faith. Then I hit the wall and I'm blaming God and I hate him and I don't want to worship. Where's that coming from? Oh, that was there all along, Katya. You were just blind to it. This is the gift of the Lord. Because do you really want to know yourself or do you want to think you know yourself? So many of ourselves completely duped about who we really are. It's easy to tell the story in the good moment. What is your belief system in the broken moment? Jesus doesn't expose these things to shame us. He's bringing you opportunity to heal you, to make you whole. This brick wall moment was an opportunity for Israel, was an opportunity for Moses. Hey, Moses, we're back to this again. Your belief system is again telling you your heart. See, we know things, but what do we really know? That's the question. Moses knew in his head success is rooted in him. Moses knew in his heart success is rooted in my performance. So what happens? The brick wall so that that belief system filters up to the surface. Hey, Moses, this is a moment. Do you want to deal with this? Because we're going to keep going round and round and round until you deal with this. What is success really rooted in? This is a gift. If you are living in this moment, I want to encourage you. God is not punishing you. He is doing you an act of kindness. God isn't the author of bricks without straw, but gosh, he's good at using those moments for our benefit. See the promise, God works all things for the good, right? That's what it says in the New Testament. He works 
all things for your good. For the believer, for the one who loves Jesus, every single part of your story is worked for good. And so often we say, what about the bad moments? What about the horrible moments? I believe some of the horrible moments he uses in this exact way, which is he didn't author the horrible moment, but he allows it to bring from your heart, from the depth of your being, what you actually think about him, about yourself, about your calling, about your uh, spiritual family, and he filters all of the junk deep within out of us because he's making us whole in the process. He works all things for your good. The process of that is actually an invitation because he's saying, will you lean in or will you walk away in offense? It's your choice. It's your choice what that moment becomes. It's an exposing gift. The third thing, yeah, let's move on, is that the brick wall is a deep well. So firstly, the, deep, uh, the brick wall is inevitable. Secondly, the brick wall is a mirror. Thirdly, the brick wall is a deep well. See, God wants the brick wall to be a moment of revelation, not just about you, but about who he is. There's a bit of a play in Exodus 5 and 6 about knowing the Lord. Um, in Exodus 5, right at the beginning, Pharaoh, where he's invited into partner, Pharaoh could partner with the purposes of God. Something could have totally shifted. See, when we read this story, we think the end was entirely inevitable. And I want to say, I don't know if that's exactly true, because you have moments in Scripture where something is about to happen, and yet there is such repentance that the story changes. It's not that God had to have things work in exactly this way. It's that God is working his purposes through anyway. And I believe if Pharaoh had humbled himself, the story, at least in this moment, could have looked different. It's like when Jonah goes to Nineveh and he says, in 40 days, God's going to destroy this city. What happens? That's his prophetic word. What happens? Is the city destroyed? No, because the whole city repents and suddenly what was promised changes in response to the humility of the people and their surrender to God. So Pharaoh could have changed the end of the story. But of course, Pharaoh's response is, I do not know the Lord and therefore I'm not partnering with this. I'm not doing what you're asking me. And then in chapter six, stick with me. We're gonna get to a moment of a deep well. God begins to speak to Moses and he says in verse 2, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, as Megan was describing to us. God Almighty, the one who nurtures, the one who sustains, is the primary revelation of that word. And God revealed himself primary, that aspect of his character to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what he was teaching them in their generation about who God is. So I revealed myself to them as God Almighty as El Shaddai, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself 
known to them. Now, I want to be clear, there are moments with the patriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where that name, the Lord, Yahweh, is used. But what God is saying here is the experience of revelation, the primary experience I showed to them so that they would know me, not just head knowledge. He's talking about heart knowledge. He's talking about experiencing him. His primary revelation to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was as God who sustains, God who is mighty, God who will nurture you, God who will give you what he has promised, right? His primary revelation now that he's giving the Israelites in this moment so that they would experience this. This isn't a head knowledge. He's inviting them to know him. The deep well moment of the brick wall is God as Yahweh, which Julian spoke about last week, but the name means I am that I am. It's that I was what, that I am what I was. I am what I am. I am what I will be. It's the reality of God is forever the same, forever faithful and present. He is literally the existing one then, now, and always. That's the revelation he's bringing to them. Why that revelation specifically? Because they thought he didn't exist for 400 years. The revelation they need in the brick wall moment isn't one of sustainer. It's one who is existing. It's one who is faithful. It's one who is the same then that he is now who will be then. They need that revelation and God is using this moment of the brick wall to bring out of a deep well an experiential knowledge of who he is, a facet of his character. I want to tell you, when we hit brick walls, there is purpose not only to expose what is inside of us, but he's bringing revelation of an aspect of his character that you would not know in experience unless you hit the brick wall. Are you following me? He's saying they knew it, but in your generation, you will know it. Why? Because this brick wall is a gift. It's a gift. The enemy is using it for his purpose, but God is saying, I work all things for your good. I will bring out toxic belief systems. And in the moment of the brick wall, I will give you such a revelation of who I am. See, when do you need to know Jesus as Prince of Peace? So many of us saying, I want to know you, Prince of Peace. You know what you're praying for? You're praying for a storm so that you will know him as Prince of Peace. If not, Prince of Peace will always be theory in your head. And too many of us in the brick wall moment, it's because we are really allowing ourselves to stay ignorant in the processes that God uses to mature us. In those moments, we're not asking a very pivotal question, which is what aspect of the character of God is he inviting me to know? Because the enemy is intending something. The enemy has a plan for me having Crohn's disease. And I can live in that plan. I can live in the place of offense. I can live and say, I will never pray for healing. We will never as a church go for it. Not until I see proof in my body will I ever lead you there. I can live in that place. That's the plan of the enemy. Or I can say, allow this brick wall to expose my belief systems. The ones that I don't see and the ones that I don't display on the public platform on a Sunday. The ones that I am so blind to 
that I can spot in other people because we're so good at that, but cannot see in myself. We see the speck. We just have no visual on the log that's in our eye, Jesus says. So use this Crohn's disease, not for what the enemy intended, but to expose in me belief systems that I didn't know were there. But then, Lord, use it not just to expose me to bring me into wholeness, but to reveal a facet of your character that I know because I've read it, but now reveal it to me that I know because I've experienced it. God, his grace is sufficient for my weakness. Do you know how you will know that? Is when you feel weak. If not, it will always be a theoretical verse that you're able to speak out with no heart knowledge of what that feels like. I want to tell you, I know what it feels like. That I will always testify that he is the one whose strength is enough. Why? Because I memorized the verse? No, because I lived it. See, we're so quick to dismiss the brick wall as a work of the enemy. We have no concept of what the Lord wants to do. It is a deep well of revelation because he's using that moment to allow you to know something that you did not know before. If you have hit a brick wall, and it, I'm assuming it doesn't look like bricks without straw for you literally, but it might be illness. It might be that you felt like you had an open door to something that God promised you and suddenly it's been slammed shut in your face. It might be disappointment about something. Whatever it is, whatever that brick wall, that moment of hardship in a faith adventure looks like for you, I want to say to you, the best thing that you can do is start praying, Jesus, expose what's in my heart. Jesus, reveal a facet of your character so that when I speak about it again, I won't be quoting a verse. I will be telling people how I lived that verse how it became so real to me. See, this is when our faith becomes unshakable. Because when your faith is still based in the land of theory, when things go wrong, it's easy to let it go. But the more faith adventures you walk through, the more you experience him, and then it becomes more and more unshakable. Because you might tell me, oh no, you are so weak. Oh no, nothing's ever going to happen in your weakness. But I have lived through the reality of my weakness and his strength. And so that doesn't scare me. Those moments don't put me off. Those moments when people tell me, you're so small, you're insignificant, they mean nothing to me now. Why? Because I've walked so many faith journeys where his strength has been sufficient in my weakness. He's growing something in the deep well at the brick wall. Last one, we're coming into land. The brick wall, inevitable, a mirror, deep well. It's an open door. Circumstances don't get to tell you when the assignment has changed. Only Jesus gets to tell you. See, what Moses is doing is, uh, I heard you, okay? Oh, good, good calling moment, God, very theatrical. Loved, loved what you did with the burning bush. Awesome. Very cool. Um, we tried, good try. Everyone, well done. We tried really hard. A for effort. Well done, everybody didn't work. 
And it wasn't that I tried just once, actually. I, I did, in front of Pharaoh, who rejected me first time, try a second time, he rejected me. So clearly, change of assignment. What's next? Lord, where are we going? Forget the Israelites, let's go somewhere else. Right? Circumstance has told me. The Israelites don't believe me anymore, therefore it is over. And God says, that's, that's really interesting, Moses. Love your take on this. Go back to the Israelites and to Pharaoh. The assignment is unchanged. They're, they're, they're making them build bricks without straw. Surely the assignment, at least in some way, has been modified. Nope. Same assignment. See, it's funny when it's someone else's story. But so many of us, having heard God clearly, when it gets hard, assume assignment has changed. And yet God is saying to you, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Unless you've heard him say, assignment has changed, stand your ground. But God brought us to Boston and he promised us so many things and yet some really difficult things have happened. Aaron texted me this week with a screenshot of the weather the last few days. He, he texted and said, are you sure the Lord said Boston and not Barbados? <laughs> Fair point. Here am I, send me, Lord. It's just so cold in this city, Lord. Surely. With this sort of weather, the assignment has changed. You called a couple out of South Africa. I'm Middle Eastern. I was born for, with sunshine in my veins. I can't handle this kind of cold. And don't get me started on Julian. He's dying out there in this cold. The assignment must have changed. Nope. But God, we laid hands on the sick and not a single person got healed in our meeting. Assignment must have changed. Well, that one hits home a little bit more, doesn't it? How many churches worldwide are saying Holy Spirit doesn't do anything today? Why are they saying that? Because they found a verse that proves that? No. Because their circumstances told them assignment has changed. And yet last time I checked, he said, lay hands on the sick and heal them. And there is no PS, don't do that anymore. Your circumstances cannot tell you what your assignment is. Only he gets to do that. And what we're doing as believers is we're hitting the hardship. We're hitting the moment that the enemy knows will dissuade lots of us. And God is saying, allow it to shape you. Allow it to bring to the surface your toxic beliefs. Allow it to show you who I actually am in experience, not just in theory. And then keep pushing because a brick wall to God is still an open doorway. You know, one of my favorite moments in John 20 is when the disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, they're terrified. Uh, they don't know necessarily, well, they've heard, but they don't know what's happening. Is he alive? Who knows? It seems a bit weird. I don't know what's going on. They definitely know one thing, which is they're terrified of what the Romans are going to do to them. And they're already hearing whispers that don't sound good. And oh, we're the ones who are next. This is really scary. So what do they do? We're told they gather together. They lock the doors. So it's a, a lovely little fortress for them. And do you know what happens? 
A brick wall is an open doorway because Jesus enters. See, we're talking about a God who doesn't go, oh, I'm sorry, that's the brick wall. We'll have to go the long way round. We're talking about a God who says, I see the brick wall, walk through it. Because the brick wall is an open doorway. There is nothing in our circumstances, nothing that can actually be such a stumbling block that we cannot move forward with what God has called us to. I want to tell you that is true for you. There is nothing in your finances that can be such a stumbling block that will stop God doing in your life what he has promised to do. There is nothing in your health that can be such a stumbling block that will stop God from doing what he promised to do. I I can keep going. There's nothing in your family. There's nothing in your upbringing. There's nothing in your education. There's nothing even in your gender. There is nothing at all that can be such a stumbling block that will be such a brick wall that the Holy Spirit doesn't know how to turn it into an open doorway. Brick walls are open doorways to him. So church, we're a people who are going to have to get comfortable with bricks without straw moments. Many of us have had them already. We've had them as a community already. We had moments where I I really thought, we're we're never going to rent a building. And this isn't the sort of city where we can have outdoor meetings every week. Summertime, great. We did do that. Several of you have been at our park meetings. You'll know what we're talking about. Uh, Some of those moments were because we couldn't find a venue. You can't do that in this city. How are we going to do it, Lord? But you told us to gather. Okay, here's the brick wall. Make it an open doorway. There's nothing we can do about it. I can't make it open, but what I can do is keep leaning in until the moment he opens it. So many of us have given up from the wall entirely. We've moved. We don't even know when he opens the doorway. Stand your ground. Table Boston, stand your ground individually. Stand your ground as a community. If you want to see miracles, you have to get comfortable with brick walls. It's part of the process. So many of us praying for the miraculous have no intention of any hardship coming our way. You can't have one without the other because it's in the hardship that your heart is made whole and your experiences move from head knowledge to real heart experience. There's no other way. There's no other way. You know, Peter, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to pray together. Peter, in the Gospel of John, he has this moment where his brick wall is actually his own failing. Justin was saying in the moment of communion, they've, they've all talked about who's going to betray Jesus. Jesus is telling them this thing. Peter, the leader of the gang. Now see, when Peter was called initially, Peter was like Moses. He was a failure and he knew it. How do I know that? Because Peter was a fisherman. And in Jewish culture, in ancient culture, the people who were successful became rabbis because 
everything in Jewish culture was built around the Torah. Your mother dreamt about you becoming a rabbi. Your father prayed that you would become a rabbi. And the way the whole schooling worked was that it was all geared towards creating rabbis and those who failed became other things. So the fact that Peter is a fisherman tells me that he's a failure, that he flunked high school. And then Jesus, when Jesus meets him and Jesus calls him, Jesus is calling someone who knows he's a disappointment. And then they start walking together and they start learning. And Peter gets more and more confident. And you read this in the Gospels. that He starts coming out of his shell and he's leading the guys. He just keeps coming up with things, bless him, that are really stupid, but he's always the one to open his mouth first. He's the leader of the bunch. And we get to this moment in the upper room where Jesus is talking about who'll betray him. And Peter, he's grown in so much confidence. He's not the guy who thought he was a disappointment. Now he's the leader of the gang. Don't worry, Jesus, these losers, they might fail you. But I know this is the superficial understanding of who he is. I know that I've got your back. What does he need? He needs a brick wall to expose what's actually inside because he's become blind to the things that need healing. And Jesus is like, Peter, hang on. You're gonna, you were gonna deny me really bad. No, 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 not me. These, yes, I know you're working with some real idiots. Don't worry. I'm gonna sort them out for you. Me, I got it together. So many of us are like this. We start our journey aware of our need for him. Then we get a little bit of swagger and we start strutting our stuff on stages as if we don't really need him anyway. Hang on, Jesus, I've got this. Jesus, protect us from ever thinking that as a community. We need him as much on day 5,000 as we do on day one. What he's done in your life, the miracles, have got nothing to do with you. And if there is ever a point at which you start believing, I've got this thing, you better believe you're about to walk into a brick wall because there's belief systems that need to be exposed and healed. And so Peter, with his strutting his stuff, he walks into a brick wall, which is his own failure. He betrays the very thing that he was like, these guys might, but I won't. He is a spectacular failure. And then he hears that Jesus is risen from the dead. And he has this moment, and Jesus is wonderful. Guys, it's fine. What does Peter say in John 21? I'm going fishing. Why? Jesus is now risen from the dead. Why would you go fishing? Because he's not willing to allow that brick wall to actually heal him. He's bouncing away out of shame and offense. And Jesus cooks him breakfast. We've talked about this before. On the banks of Peter's own disappointment, there's a breakfast waiting for him, cooked by the Son of God. And Jesus restores him as he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times to heal the brokenness of the, of the denying of Jesus. There's this reality in that moment where Peter experiences Jesus' grace in a way that it had started to become theory for him. And yet that brick wall is a gift to him. 
Can you imagine what would have become of church history if that lie that had crept into Peter, that he'd got this, continued in him without the gift of a brick wall to expose it to healing? Let's stand together. Exodus has a lot to teach us, church. If we allow this book to shape us, it will set us on a course where the grace of God so empowers us that we find ourselves walking in miracles, walking in adventures. We've just got to get comfortable with the, the hard parts, the challenging moments, the pushback moments. They will come, they are inevitable. But gosh, they are a gift. And I want to invite you in this moment. Some of you, as I was speaking, you're, you're aware that Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart because he's been exposing some really weird belief systems that have been in you. Belief systems about your performance. Belief systems about how much you've got it together. Belief systems about what it is that pleases God and what doesn't please God. You, you've got into some kind of tangential belief systems and God has been knocking on the door of your heart and he's been exposing these things to you and you've been keeping him at bay. And even as I've been speaking, there's been like a wrestling in your heart where you can feel God saying to you again, I want to heal you. I want to grow you. I want to take this out of your heart and restore you. And I want to encourage you, if this is you, no one's watching. We're just going to close our eyes. Each of us is going to meet with Jesus. But if this is you, I want to invite you, lean into him. This is a moment for repentance. And repentance isn't simply saying sorry, although that's a good place to start. But repentance is allowing God to change the way you think. It's saying to God, okay, I've, I can see this thing that's got stuck in me. Where, where have I gone wrong? What is the truth that needs to replace this? I've started believing that my performance is what earns me breakthrough. Where do you want to rectify that belief system? Where have I gone wrong? Take it out of my heart. And in the name of Jesus, right now, I speak to belief systems, systems of skepticism and cynicism, systems of perfectionism and performance, systems of religious pride, and arrogance, systems of unforgiveness, dishonor, systems that have come to stand against radical moments of faith. And we surrender these systems to you, God. We speak a repentant heart in this room that we would bring these to you and we speak against the enemy's lies. And we ask you, God, restorer of truth, won't you come and speak grace? Won't you come and speak healing? Won't you come and speak truth? to replace the lies in our hearts. I pray that there would be an uprooting of bitter roots in the name of Jesus. And where there's offense and unforgiveness, I feel these two very strongly, that they would be overcome, that those bitter roots would be taken out and fresh seed of grace, of honor, of forgiveness, of humility would be planted and some of you, you are in the middle of a storm and you haven't known what to do. And in this moment, God is inviting you to drink at a deep well. He's saying to you that I am not the author of this, but I want to show you who I am. Others may have known me at different times as this, but today I want to reveal myself to you. 
I want to reveal myself to you as Prince of Peace. I want to reveal myself to you as a good father. I want to reveal myself to you as God of glory and goodness. So in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, you are the one who reveals the Father, who reveals Jesus to us. I pray bring deep revelation that we would walk in the experience of who you are, not just in the head knowledge of who you are. And some of you, you're waiting for the breakthrough. And in this moment, God is just telling you, stand your ground. Assignment has not changed. Assignment to the city for some of you. Some of you ready to jump ship because it's been hard and I get it, but God is saying to you, assignment has not changed. For some of you, God has been calling you to go and you've been resisting him and he's saying, hey, assignment has not changed. I pray in this room, courage and faith, a restoring of incredible boldness, incredible audacity towards the things of God. We speak of restoring. <laughs> Be strong and very courageous, church, because the wall you see before you to him is an open doorway. We pray for this community, Lord, that we would be a community of such radical faith, that we would be a community resilient against brick walls, that we would stand our ground, that we would trust you for open doorways. I pray in the name of Jesus, where there is resistance right now to the coming of the kingdom through this community. I pray in Jesus' name for miraculous open doorways. We pray for miraculous favor to open doors in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.